And, of course, there was the best advertisement of all. The rich smell of sizzling chops, kippers or Yarmouth bloaters that occasionally escaped from the narrow confines of the kitchen. And it was a narrow little room, for the shop was not a large one by any means. The front, which consisted of a small plate-glass window and a very plain door, set back a little from the street, could not have measured more than twelve feet across. Inside... There was just enough space for four booths against the wall, the serving counter, and a pair of tables by the window. It was only after purchasing the lease that Mrs. Tanner discovered the room itself was rather irregular and wedge-shaped, and, upon close inspection, she found that the walls buckled inward slightly, as if the victim of monumental tight lacing. Still, she was not daunted by the discovery, and it soon became clear to anyone who took an interest that the new coffee-house on the corner was being admirably managed and maintained by its new proprietress. But what of Sarah Tanner herself? Now there was something of a contradiction. For example, it was said that she had the good manners of a respectable upper servant, but was far too young to have been pensioned, that she spoke as if she had received an education, but knew the coster's slang as if she were born and bred to it, and that she not only had no husband, which was a commonplace on Leather Lane, where husbands came and went with remarkable ease, generally via the local beer shop, but seemed never to have possessed one. This latter point was particularly remarkable, since she had a pretty face, with dark brown hair and deep hazel eyes, and a full, graceful figure, a figure which, upon first sight, some of the more impetuous costermongers even remarked upon to their wives. It was, doubtless, these unfortunate remarks that prompted a few of the coster women to declare Mrs. Tanner a queer character, not quite on the square, and to suggest that she had got her shop and money somewhere, and they didn't care to inquire where that might be. One thing was for certain, Sarah Tanner was not going to tell them, and if, upon her arrival, she was the subject of gossip, it was the proverbial nine days' wonder, soon overshadowed by more exciting news, like the mysterious theft of old Bill Teach's donkey during the night, or Sal Perkins clouting her rival in love outside the Presbyterian chapel. Indeed, the streets between Leather Lane and nearby Saffron Hill, whatever the morals of their inhabitants— Howsoever poor they might be, were never short of incident. The mystery of Sarah Tanner was soon put to one side, and Mrs. Tanner, for her part, was quite content with the outcome. For she went about her business with, well, not shyness by any means, but a certain degree of reserve. And even Ralph Grundy, who saw her every day, would happily testify that his employer was a clausen and no mistake. And if asked to say any more on the subject, Mr. Grundy would merely tap his nose, raise his glass, and refuse to reveal any dark secrets. To a degree, this was a natural discretion on Ralph Grundy's part, but principally it was his own ignorance of Sarah Tanner's history. All the same relying upon the wisdom of his years, for he was in his sixties and rather given to solitary speculation, he privately concluded that his employer had a past of one sort or another, one that might well catch up with her. And, of course, he was quite right.
Chapter One It had just gone half-past eleven at night, and the little coffee-house on the corner was quite empty of customers. Mrs. Hinchley had long since gone home, and Ralph Grundy was busying himself in the kitchen. Sarah Tanner, meanwhile, had moved from her usual seat behind the counter to stand in front of the fireplace and warm her hands. It was just as she stood there that she heard the shop door creak behind her. Sarah, it's never you, is it? The interruption startled Mrs. Tanner. It was peculiar for anyone on Leather Lane to address her by her first name. She turned to see a figure at the door, a man two or three years older than herself, dressed in a smart brown suit and hat, with a russet-coloured waistcoat and a rather extravagant red cravat. Don't say you don't remember George Phelps, continued the newcomer, an exaggerated look of sorrow.